0: This morning, obviously, maybe you can tell we're focusing on family. I'm going to do a talk called Family Matters. And it is part of a theme series that we're starting today called Flourishing. The word flourishing means to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. And when you hear that word environment, I think of an ecosystem. So whether it's on land or whether it's in the ocean, the, the, the microbiotics, uh, the, the plants, the animals, the fish, the big, the large, the small, the ones you can't see, the things that slither on the ocean floor, they're all connected and interrelated together. And when you, when you touch one part of an ecosystem, you touch the whole system. It affects everything. I have an uncle who lives in Houston, and most of us know what's happened over there in the last um, in the last bit the the experience they've had with uh, the, the torrential rain and the flooding and everything. Well, Houston, the city grew in, in, in sort of an exponential rate, and they paved in a lot of the land and for parking and for, you know, strip malls and that kind of thing. And what they didn't realize when, when they got hit with this sort of unprecedented rainfall, there was no place for the rain to go. See, they'd affected the ecosystem, and it wasn't until years later that they reaped the result of that, not in a positive way, but in a negative way. In Genesis 1:1, we read this, "'In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth.'" And we read in verse 2 that there was chaos. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There was chaos, but God spoke. And in the account that follows in Genesis 1, which we believe as Christians is the story of creation, He creates, and He creates the celestial bodies, He creates the land, separates the land from the waters. He creates animals. He creates plant life, and they're all interrelated together with one another. There's this system, there's order, there's not chaos. And that's what you would expect when there's a master designer. I don't know if you've ever played a board game where you know you're responsible to build your own sort of kingdom, and you know uh, you allocate resources and roads and sewage and all that kind of stuff, and and armies, and you know it's tricky just with a few items that you have to take care of. Imagine creating and putting together a whole ecosystem such as exists in our in the different places in our earth. Where would you begin? What would you put together? How would you make that complexity complexity actually work? Well, the final and central piece of God's creation is us, human beings. Now, look around, look at one another, and you may think, wow, why would God do that? <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe. But listen to what God's word says. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So God started with a man and a woman, male and female. And he told them to be fruitful, to multiply, like to fill the earth. It wasn't just like multiply like rabbits so that there's lots of children, but there was a purpose for it. Remember, they were the image bearers of God. And so God wanted his whole earth to be filled with those who would bear his image, who would steward, who would rule over creation, but not just the plant life, it would be everything like relationships, culture, the arts. God started by making family, and that was his plan for the world and for the earth. We get more insight into this idea of male and female in the second chapter of Genesis where God, God begins to uh, talk to Adam and, and he sees that it's not good that he should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That word helper, it comes from a Hebrew word which sounds easier, And it means not inferior, but some, a person or a being who comes alongside. And that word is actually used of God in another passage of scripture. So it's not an inferior being or person, but it's one who comes alongside as a helper, I will make a helper fit for him. That word fit speaks of being complementary. In other words, there's a, there, there, there's a lot of similarities between Adam and the woman created out of his rib, but there's differences. She's going to complement him, she's going to be fit for him. Male and female are going to have profound differences, but as they work together, as they are helping and working together, This is going to be good for the earth. This is the building block of the world that I've created. And in it, society will flourish, and the world will flourish as a result. In the 1800s, there was a French philosopher named Alexis de Tocqueville. He wrote a book called Democracy in America. So he, he sort of uh, lamented what was going on in Europe, where he was. And as we saw what was going on in, in America, he envied the family life that was taking place at that time in America. He probably would not write that today. But back then he said this, the American draws the love of order from his home, which he then carries over into his affairs of state. In other words, The the home is in order, and that translates into how they run their country. There's an organization called Child Trends, and they're a nonpartisan organization in the United States, and they've existed for like 40 years, and their purpose is to do research so that they can come up with recommendations for what is best for raising kids and for youth to flourish in society. Now, not to say that there aren't single parents who do an amazing job of raising their kids, because you and I have seen that but this was the, and they said the same, but this is the general conclusion that they reached as they studied families and, again, single parents and the different models of family. Research clearly demonstrates that family structure matters for children. And the family structure that helps children the most is a family headed by two biological parents in a low-conflict marriage. Huh. Just like the beginning. God created them male and female, that she would be fit for him. She would be a helper. They would work together. There would be harmony, and they would be one, raising a family, multiplying, not just, not just for the sake of individuals, but for culture, for influence, that there'd be more image bearers of God throughout the earth. There's another organization called the Witherspoon Institute. It is a conservative institution. They wrote a a paper a while back called Marriage and the Public Good. And they take the idea of biology a little further. And they said this, biology also matters. So the idea that there is a male and a female as parents, it matters. Studies suggest that men and women bring different strengths to the parenting enterprise. Can children agree with that? Like, for those of you that are kids here, is your mom different than your dad in the way they parent you? Let me hear you. Okay. I just want to see if science backs up your experience. They bring different strengths to the parenting enterprise, and that biological relatedness of parents to their children has important consequences for the young, especially girls. Although there's a good deal of overlap in the talents that mothers and fathers bring, the parenting... The evidence also suggests that there are crucial sex differences in parenting. So in the last two weeks, I have had two different grandparents, unbeknownst to each other, approach me, talk to me with a great burden for what is going on in our society, and in particular, uh, some of the things that are potentially being presented in our education system. Part of that proposed... Uh, stream of thought is to blur the lines between gender distinction. So hear me, we as a, as, as a, as a people, we want to be compassionate, we are not, um, we are not bullies, we, we are not discriminatory, but as we look at research and science for the sake of our society, we want to hold up the ideal in our world a time when gender distinction, when male and female, has become scandalous. Ashley McGuire has written a book called Sex Scandal, The Drive to Abolish Male and Female, and she says this, I'm talking about sex that demarcates male and female, the basic biological and physiological differences that tell us with scientific certainty whether a human being is a man or woman and all that entails. That right there, believe it or not, has become a matter of, of national scandal. But we know men and women are created differently. Every cell of our bodies is different. Every cell in a man's body is different than every cell in a woman's body. And, and, and just the research, the body of research that goes around that. I mean, if you're a woman here, you're so different from me. You, you can stand, your constitution is stronger, so you can apparently withstand concentration camps better than I could. We have different skeletal structures. Uh, women have lower metabolic rates than men do. This is just the, the general way that it is. Men are stronger. There's a reason why this weekend there's a US Open tennis match where the final, there's a final for women and there's a final for men. There's a difference between the physical physiology of men and women. Apparently, our stomachs are different, our kidneys are different, our livers are different, our appendixes are different, and we relate differently. Men are from? Men are from? Where are women from? Yes. Okay, that didn't come out of Genesis. <laughs> as, as McGuire puts it in her book, the scientific and medical communities still have clear definitions of sex and gender. Society denies them almost entirely. And it's amazing how this um, has become like a tidal wave. My thought is if we're, if we're losing our way as a society, I think one of the reasons that we have not currently valued family as, as, and, and almost to the point of mocking family, the traditional family where there's a mom and a dad and a wholesome family is because we've seen so little of it. We haven't seen enough where mom and dad love each other passionately and where they love their kids and where they train them up well. But rather than lose our way and look for different options and different ways of fixing it, how about we go back to the one who designed it all? And we look at his word when he created, in the beginning, the building block of society, a mom and a dad making family and doing that well. And there find that we flourish. This morning, it's my privilege to invite up on stage David and Catherine. Uh, Dave Morelli is our new Young Adults Pastor, his wife Catherine, and their son Levi. If you want to grab the, the microphone right there. So this morning, I want to just interview a couple of families um, as to how you know they do family and how uh, how Christ, the relationship with Christ, affects that. Before I do, i just like, Catherine, can I ask you a question? Did yeah, Dave did Dave tell you what I was going to? He prepared me this morning. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. believe it or not, why don't you tell us what you actually do? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and then I'll ask you another question. Yeah,
1: sure. I'm a registered clinical counselor, um, so I have my master's in marriage and family therapy, and I uh, work with couples, families, kids, and individuals.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, who better to ask than... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does it act, do families actually make a difference? Like, does it matter that we do this well, or should I close this and we'll yeah, go right. <laughs> for a community party? Like,
1: well, you know what, Tim, you actually set me up really well at the beginning when you were talking about systems. Okay. So thankfully, you didn't steal my thunder, though. Okay. Um, so for me, I really believe that families are systems, right? And mm. so everything we do impacts each other. You know, in in our family, there's the I, there's the You and there's the us, right? And so even right now, I mean, this is perfect because this is an example of our system, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Levi is experiencing something and he's impacting me and and he's impacting Dave and impacting you guys, right? So um, when I do work with families, it's not about just the person who's sitting in front of me. You know, they may not be able to bring their mom and their brother and their spouse and everyone in with them. Mm. It's great if they can. But they're there as a part of a system, mm. right? And everything that they experience affects their family. And everything their family experiences affects them.
0: Beautiful.
1: And so as far as with parents, um, I think it's about we can only take our kids as far as we can go ourselves. Because mm. my anxieties, my emotional struggles, my difficulties are going to affect Levi. And, and so when parents come in and say, hey, can you fix my kid? You know, that's just not how it works. You know, I can journey with them. I can work with them. But it's so much about mom and dad. Mm. It's so much about you guys are the answer for your kid because you're the most important person in their life, right? Yeah.
0: Beautiful. So. I think you answered my question I was going to ask you. So I'm going to ask Dave a question. <laughs> yeah. And that way he can hand Levi off to Catherine. <laughs> it's like a football. <laughs> so so how do you, case So you, I mean, that's so beautiful. You work in that whole field. And but you have to practice it yourself, yeah. <laughs> right? So you're living it, right? From like, this is the early stages. And I know Dave from my conversations, um, love some of the things you had to say. So just, why don't you tell us about how you envision and how you are, um, you know, starting this family journey where Christ is the center of that.
2: Yeah, well, I think the starting point for us is always with, with Jesus. And I think our biggest dream and hope for, for Levi is that he would come to know Jesus. I think if we could do one thing as parents that would set Levi up to flourish in his life. I think that's our heart is that he would meet Jesus and he would see Jesus at work in our lives and that one day he would follow him because um, we've put that goal in place in our life and tried to find ways to live that out. And so we do that multiple ways. We, We talk a lot about Uh, giving Levi a big picture of who God is. Um, Mm. So when we go for walks, when we uh, are at home in different things, we want to bring God into the conversations in our life. And so when he looks at a flower on a walk, we we stoop down low and we start talking to him about the God that created that flower. And that if you notice, there's millions of different flowers out there and that this God is so creative that he would create this much beauty in the world. And so we're talking about that with him all the time. Uh, Even just little small things like... Um, the different kind of fruit we feed him, we're like, man, isn't it awesome that our God creates Mm. all these different flavors and colors and different things. And so we're trying to bring God into the conversations, give him a big picture of who God is. And then we also talk to him about the gospel a lot. Uh, Mm. We believe the gospel applies to every area of life. And so when I'm, uh, this is funny, but when I change his diaper and it's dirty and he's got poop in there, I'm talking about sacrifice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For him or for you? For me. For me.
2: But it's, but, like, we're trying to, we're, so I'm like, I'll be, it sounds funny, but I'm, I'm standing over, I'm changing his diaper, I'm like, buddy, do you know that there's, a, I'm sacrificing right now, because this is really, like, it stinks, but, you know, there's someone much greater who sacrificed for you, his name's Jesus, and I'm just telling my son about wow. Jesus, and it sounds funny, but it's, we're trying to incorporate those things into everyday life, and, and the last thing I would say is that, um, as Catherine kind of touched on, is we just want to pursue Jesus Mm. really hard for us Mm. and so we want to set that example for Levi and so he knows sees from the moment he can remember that Catherine and I love Jesus with all our heart soul Mm -hmm. mind and strength and we're we're chasing after him with everything we can so that he gets curious and just grows up in a world where that's
0: normal beautiful so that's kind of what we do excellent thank you guys give him a hand I think that was amazing thank you Uh, I think I want to be your kid would you, uh, would you adopt me? <laughs> you can see why we're excited to have Dave and Catherine on our team, uh, working with our young adults, and just being in our midst. Oh, guys, just love you so much already. OK, um, so talk, talk number two. We're going to flip now. If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 18. So we started in Genesis 1. We saw the beginning, God's design for the world. Um, Starting with male and female, mom and dad, be fruitful, multiply, uh, carry, build culture as image bearers of God. Now we're going to look at Genesis 18, and and so fast forward to where we get here. We're going to get to a man named Abraham, and uh, a lot has happened since Genesis 1, Genesis 2 to here. Like Adam and Eve, the original couple, things didn't go so well because they chose to go a different way than God told them to go. So they rebelled against God, and so they fell from all that God had for them. And as a result of that, things did not go well for mankind. There's already been a flood, a destruction. But, but, but God wouldn't give up on humanity. And so he has this plan of redemption. And he's gonna run it through this man named Abraham. Genesis 18, I'm reading verse 17. The Lord said... Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now he's going he's to do something to the um, city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Wow, God's got some amazing plans for this man and his family. God is going to use a nation. It will become great and mighty. God will bless that nation. And God's plan is to use that nation to bless other nations. How is he going to do that? How will it come about? Well, look what God says next in verse 19. For I have chosen him, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him the mighty nation that god envisions the like the core of what god is going to do is because god has called a man who's going to command his family and his household to listen to god and to obey him this is how god is going to work how, how are people blessed how are nations blessed by keeping god's word by following his ways by listening to his way and not following another how does the world full, how does the world flourish ultimately through a family we're a man and his, his wife and they command their family to, we're gonna walk after God, we're gonna obey him. So this morning, when you think about your role, if you're here today and you're a dad or a mom or you wanna be a dad someday, a mom someday, there's that future possibility. You wanna change the world? I mean, don't we all wanna change the world? We all have that sort of desire. Well, where could it start? In the home. In the family. For I know that Abraham will command his family and his household. They're going to follow my ways, and I'm going to bring to pass the things that I promised to him. There's this well-known study of a couple of people that lived in the 1800s. One of them, uh, I mean, they looked a lot different. I'll show you a picture of Jonathan Edwards as one of them. Uh, He was a passionate pastor, in the 1800s, he was part, a central figure in the Great Awakening, if you've ever heard of this mighty move of God that happened in the US in the 1800s, and they did a study where they compared his life and his lineage after him, like his family line after him, compared to another guy, um, the family was called Jukes, and so they compared like the, what happened to their families after them, and, and here's what they found, with, with Jukes, of course, they used the extreme examples of negative and good. With Jukes, they could trace 300 poor people to him and his family, 150 criminals, seven murderers, 100 alcoholics, 50 prostitutes, 20 tradesmen. And 10 of those tradesmen learned their trade in prison. Edwards, more than 100 of them were lawyers. Now, those aren't criminals, for those of you that need that <laughs> distinction. So more than 100 of them were lawyers. 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 100 pastors, clergymen, missionaries, or theological professors. There were a late 80 of them had eventually were elected to public office, including one of them was elected as a vice president of the United States. A. Winship, who wrote a, uh, an article on this, of this study, he looked at the input of both parents, and, and to him it wasn't just Jonathan Edwards and his, you know, his greatness as a person, but it also had a lot to do with Mrs. Edwards. And he says, much of the capacity and talent, intensity and character of more than the 1,400 of the Edwards family is due to Mrs. Edwards. Working together, partnership, mom and dad. So let me say to, you, to those of you that are here this morning that are parents, do not underestimate the ripple effect of what you do right now in family. Do not underestimate the ripple effect of what you do right now in family. Tomorrow, today, the week after, the things we do moment after moment that seem insignificant are in fact so significant in what follows behind you and has a ripple effect. This morning, I also want to interview Darley Ann and Andrew and their family. Are there boys coming up? All right, have you got the microphone? Fantastic. So it's Ethan, Aiden. Aiden Nathan. Nathan. I always get their names mixed up. I even work on it in my head, I'm sorry guys. Um, love to hear from you guys. Like how, So your kids are a little older than um, Dave and Catherine's, and so you've experienced some different challenges and newer challenges. Um, tell me maybe what is it like to, how do you raise your family uh, with a Christ-centered emphasis? How, do you, how have you gone about it? And um, hopefully we can learn from you. <laughs>
3: Um, it's actually not that much different with, from what David and Catherine are sharing to when your kids get a little bit older, it's just now they get to interact in the conversation. Uh, so that's the beautiful part. It's, um, we value a few things in our home, um, and David touched on a lot of these too, prayer, scripture, uh, worship and life. Those are kind of my four topics that I bring it down to. Um, Prayer is something that we don't just do over the children. We get them to engage in it with us, and uh, it's throughout the day. It's not just mealtimes. It's intentional throughout the day because God is with us throughout the day, and so for us, it's really important for our kids to realize it's not just special moments, but we can call on God throughout the day when we're having our highs and our lows, when we're struggling, uh, when we're having a great moment too, and we just want to thank God for that. We can do that throughout the day, and so um, at night, Um, we tie into you know scripture by doing we do devos uh, every night with our kids Uh, we do go through different passages together and we read our devotional books together and we talk about it how does this actually impact us how does how does that relate to what we're doing um, in our daily lives Um, and worship being a part of church is a huge part of that being a part to to be of a bigger church community worshiping together uh, for the kids to see that and understand it on their level down in kids church as well as being a part of something bigger um, that's a huge, huge thing for us, um, and life, um, like David was saying, it's about taking God with us everywhere that we go. Uh, when we see that rainbow, taking a moment to thank God for that rainbow, when we see a fire truck or a paramedic or any, any emergency vehicle goes by, these two boys know that what, what mommy does is I stop and I pray. Um, and so they join me in that. And so when we see somebody that's hurt on the side of the road or anything like that, they stop and we pray. Um, And so just to be really, really intentional to bring God into every moment and every conversation that we can.
4: Andrew. Uh, I certainly can. She told me I wasn't going to have to talk. So um, when it comes to this age, I think there's a lot more reasoning and explanation, which Mm. is great. And I mean, when you hear a little kid start praying, you know, thank you for blessing us and thank you for dying for us and for our sins, it just, it chokes Mm. you up, still Mm. chokes me up now. Mm. And just being able to model and um, being able to be humble. And one of their favorite things is to hold us accountable as well. So it, it kind of goes both ways. Um, they are more than happy and very, very pleased when they can point out all the mistakes I made. And, hey, daddy, mm. um, busted. That, that's kind of our family word. And, oh, yeah, I'm busted. Thank okay. you for holding me accountable. Mm. And just being able to help us all grow together and realizing we're all not perfect. Um, and just doing it all together is fantastic.
0: Beautiful. Can I ask you one more question, Andrew? Like, you work in the school system. That I do. Do you you often know where, where, like, how the situation of kids' families are? And do you see a difference when mom and dad are really involved in their kids' lives?
4: Yeah, I mean, I teach at the traditional high school. I know some of you are former students. I won't talk about anybody in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, at a high school, I mean, we we see so many kids. I see them for 30 kids for an hour a day, and then I see the next 30 and the next 30. And it's an assembly line from time to Mm -hmm. time. But um, you definitely can see a difference in the students when it comes to parent-teacher interviews. Um, the parents I see are very often the ones I don't need to see. Mm. Um, if a parent's willing to come, mm. they're, they're engaged enough to mm. um, help their kids, so there aren't as many issues. Um, I do know I can see a difference in kids when there's two parents mm. versus one. Um, mm. it, it's a struggle. I mean, there's, you, got, you went to a retreat earlier this year. Um, Single parents, my goodness. I am so impressed with you guys. Uh, I had mm -hmm. two nights by myself, Mm. and I barely made it. My goodness. I
0: I can't do it. So, um,
4: I mean, you can see the impact that two loving Mm. parents have Mm. for a kid, and it just makes so much sense.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Let's give them the hand again for... Okay, I got to say, when um, Darley-Ann's been on our team for just over a year, like a year ago, May, and when we were talking to Darley-Ann about, you know, checking out whether she would want to join our team, us seeing if she was the right fit for our team, uh, just hearing Darley-Ann talk about how her and Andrew lead their family, just to me was such a, an amazing example that I thought that is the kind of person, if I had, you know, young kids or maybe I'll have grandkids someday, if, if that, that is the kind of person that I would want to, to be leading my kids as a support to us as parents. So um, thank you guys and thanks for sharing with us a bit of your life this morning. Third passage, we're gonna go to Ephesians chapter six if you wanna take your Bible there, Ephesians chapter six. Before I dive into this scripture, let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're single or your family has been anything but ideal, um, and there's, you know, there's no option for that to be repaired, you got to know that God has a plan for that too. And that plan is an extended family called the church, which we're gonna talk about next week. And so uh, you're not left out in any way. And in fact, I, as I was reflecting on this, uh, you have a role to play to help and support families as well. I have a, an older sister who's not married, never has been. And uh, I mean, I can personally say I, I've never seen someone who strengthens and supports family in the way that she does. So for my whole kid's life, you know, every, every major event, there's Auntie Sharon. Cheering on the kids, you know, there is a support, you know. Graduation, high school graduation, um, new diploma, whatever. Like she's there. Birthdays, she's there. And so, uh, there's many ways in which we can support and help family because family matters. Ephesians chapter six, starting verse one. Children, ha! This is not for the parents this time. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So I can just imagine. Uh, if you take yourself back to first century times, and remember, this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, and so there are probably a whole bunch of people gathered in a, in a big living room or atrium or something, and somebody that can read, because they couldn't all read, someone is reading the letter, and the kids are running back and forth, and they're, you know, and there's always a couple that are orangutans, right, that are just a little more, ah, they're hard to get in the right place, and, and then all of a sudden, this part of the letter is read, children, Obey your parents. I mean, it sounds so, ah, uh, it sounds so unpopular today. But Paul says, this is right. This is the right thing to do before God in the Lord. So if, if your parents are asking you to do something outside of what God directs and what, God, what God's ways are, then no, you wouldn't obey that. But in the Lord, unto the Lord, Obey. Listen to them. That's what that word really refers to here. Listen to your parents. And not just in outward conformity. You know, um, when someone can comply with outward actions, but inside there's no conformity, uh, Paul wants to get right to the heart of the matter because he calls on a big one. He calls on commandment number five of the Ten Commandments. This is a big deal, which says, honor, honor your parents, Honor your father and mother. This is right out of the Ten Commandments. Honor them, esteem them, value them. See, the parent-child relationship is not a one-way street. It's a back and forth. So it's not just about what mom and dad can do for me, where they can take me to, what they need to provide for me, what I need to have that I don't have that other kids have. It's a back, it's meant to be even, even as a back and forth relationship from child to parent. You don't start following Jesus in your late 20s or early 20s. You can start following Jesus like as a young child. And part of that following Jesus is that he's, he's ordained systems. He's ordained a mom and a dad. And in that system, as a child, in following Jesus, I obey what mom and dad say as long as it conforms to the express will of God. Now, that, that doesn't sound particularly cool but it's right, and is the one commandment that comes with a promise. So so God wanted to get this across so clearly to his people that he tags a promise onto it, and it's all about flourishing, that it may go well with you. See, God is gonna be at work in your circumstances as a child, that it's gonna go well with you in your life as a child, but I believe it extrapolates long beyond that into your adulthood as you lay down patterns as a kid. And you'll live a long life. See, family needs to matter to you too as a child. You affect the ecosystem of your family as, just like your mom and dad affect the ecosystem of your family. If you are a, a, a child who's always causing trouble, you, you affect the whole family that way. But if you're a child who's, who's honoring and, and gracious and obedient, that affects your family in a positive way. Verse 4. Now Paul's going to speak to dads. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul singles out dads here, and I think there's a reason. In the first century world, especially with Roman influence, um, Roman fathers had incredible power. So they had the power to collect money that their children made. They could beat their kids. They could break off any of their children's marriages they could even sell their children into slavery up to three times. Tacitus, who's a Roman historian alive in the first century after Christ, said, There are hardly any other men who have over their children a power such as we, speaking of the Roman dad, such as we have. Now, not all fathers were ruthless and, and cruel. You know, with his power. But the point is that in the Roman world, the father was like a, a, in a sense, almost like a god. His interests were the interests of the whole family, his decisions were the decisions of the whole family. And the duty of every child was don't provoke your dad. Do you get that? Don't provoke your dad. And what does Paul write? Fathers, don't provoke your children. He flips it on its head. It's completely countercultural. Don't take the power and authority that you have to lord it over your kids and, and to drive them in so that they become angry and rebellious against you. But rather, he's showing a different picture here. Instead, bring them up in the nurture, in the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. It's interesting, the book I gave away to. Um, Matt and Ben, uh, Spiritual Parenting by Michelle Anthony, she talks a lot about creating environments for your kid. The word nurture sort of has that connotation to it. Like bring them up in an environment. An ecosystem. What kind of ecosystem? Well, where where, where there's obviously instead of harsh treatment, where there's tender love and care and concern. And that environment is of all things Christ-centered. Bring them up in the discipline, the ways of God, and instruction in the Lord. It's amazing um, how the habits that parents can instill in their children will carry over for the rest of their life. So you can help instill amazing... Uh, habits into your young children. If, if you're a Christ follower and you want them to follow Christ and, and you want them to live in ways that are going to honor God, you can, you can, you know, with love and care and concern, you can teach them about the big story of God, as Dave and Catherine talked about. You can teach them the gospel and how everything that God has written and ordained for us applies to every area of our life. And you can help them learn good disciplines like prayer and reading scripture, loving your neighbor, as you model it and then encourage them to do that, you have, you have such an, you're working with a, you know, a canvas that you can paint with, with, with putty that you can mold and shape in such beautiful ways so that they will flourish and our world will flourish. What an incredible responsibility and what a great opportunity. This morning we've seen God's design, mom and dad relating well, raising their children in the ways of God And children responding to their leadership to obey with the promise of flourishing. I hope you're encouraged this morning to value family and to do everything we can to strengthen and build them up as they seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for, um, for your goodness to us, Lord. I thank you that in your call to us as individuals, Lord, you also call us into family, whether it's natural family, um, for sure, spiritual family. Thank you, Lord, we don't exist alone as islands unto ourselves, but we exist in relationship to one another. And Lord, I truly believe as we follow your ways, Lord, that um, there is that presence of God bringing about beautiful, flourishing, healthy, vigorous life. And so, Lord, we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us and each of us in the state we find ourselves, whether single, married, a parent or grandparent, Lord, to seek first you and our relationship with Jesus and then out of that, Lord, would flow those things that would help us to flourish as a society and family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.